Welcome to the Hockey Strength Podcast, the official podcast of SCAF, the Strength and Conditioning Association of Professional Hockey. My name is David Rosales, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Potenza, along with our guest, Paul Goldberg. This episode is a part of our SCAF alumni series, where each episode, Mike and I interview together a former NHL strength coach. From 1999 until the late 2000s, Paul served as the head strength conditioning coach for the Colorado Avalanche, including winning a Stanley Cup in 2001. Since leaving the Avalanche, Paul has worked for the U.S. Army, serving as the Human Performance Program Coordinator for the 10th Special Forces Group at Fort Carson, Colorado. In this episode, we talk about those powerful Colorado Avalanche teams and what it took to win the Stanley Cup, what Paul learned from players like Joe Sackick from management from coaches. We discuss his current role in the Army and some of the cool projects he's undertaken there, as well as a lot of the similarities between training hockey players and training tactical forces. Because of the nature of his job, obviously Paul cannot be on social media and be very public, so it's really cool to get get a guy like him on and hear his perspective on our field. And without further ado, here is Mike Potenza and Paul Goldberg. Paul, welcome to the Hockey Strength Podcast. Mike, welcome back to the show as always. Uh, thank you both for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on. We, we've we've known each other for a, a long time, and uh, it's, it's great that this alumni series is guys who we've worked with together for a while, sharing some ideas and sharing some stories that we would would not have otherwise, you know, gotten in passing when we see each other in the in the rinks and, and whatnot. So, thanks, Goldie, for being here. Uh, not a problem. Thing, let's start like where you started before. Before Colorado, you know, because we met when I came in the league and you with Colorado and, and obviously hit it off because we had a lot of players together. Um, so tell us a little bit about before you got to Colorado, where you were. Uh, so let's see. So I, I, uh, I'm originally from San Diego. I moved to uh, Colorado on a, a football scholarship to Western State, small division two school. Um, was deciding between landscape architecture and physiology and I found out how much math is in landscape architecture and went the physiology way uh, got into strength training that way um, went to uh, Colorado State as a graduate assistant got my master's there in human nutrition worked in the weight room there and while I was at Colorado State as a GA the avalanche the Nordiques moved to uh, Colorado at that time and the ownership group that owned the Nuggets bought the uh, the uh, Nordiques, so that was Ascent Sports. <clears throat> and they made the Nuggets strength coach, Skip Allen, be the strength coach for both teams. Same season, same time of year, and he had to be the strength coach for both of them. So he uh, he called around uh, the universities on the, the front range out here in Colorado and asked if anybody wanted to help test and, uh, you know, just help them out. And I was basically the only one that, that jumped on it. And uh, so I stayed in touch with him and, you know, did some things off and on with him, help test and, and, uh, and whatnot for three years, got the head strength coach job at Eastern Michigan. I was out in Eastern Michigan and Skip called me and said, uh, I'm resigning. I got three kids. I never see him anymore. Um, would you be interested? And then, yeah, absolutely. So I jumped on it. So that was in 99. I started July 1, 1999 with the uh, with the avalanche who was coaching at the time it was bob hartley so um he was a second year in 98 they lost to uh well the end of the end of the 98 99 season they lost to dallas in the western conference finals in game seven uh and uh yeah he he uh he was a head coach brought me in um went from there some studs on that team, Hall of Famers for sure. That's uh, yeah. yeah. Good. Uh, tell tell us a little bit about you coming in, your preconceived notions of what strength and conditioning should be as a football player, maybe, and then coming into hockey, and then uh, Bob's reputation obviously is, you know, I think very much a lot of conditioning based on the ice. So, it, yeah. you know, probably a big deviation from strength and power and speed being worked on as opposed to just straight up skating for conditioning. Tell us a little bit about that and how you had to kind of manage that. Yeah. So when I, when I got there, luckily I'd, I'd worked with Skip and seen what, what he'd done uh, with the players in, in the past. Um, and again, like you said, great lead, leadership in that team. I had, uh, so I, I got the, I got the job and this was before cell phones and this was before 
uh, all that stuff. So I'm, I'm driving home and I get home and um, walk in the house and my wife is standing there. Her eyes are about as big as dish plates. And she goes, Joe Sackick is on our answering machine. I'm like, what? So <laughs> for those of you who don't know an answering machine, it was a <laughs> that recorded people leaving you messages. Yes. It was a, a physical voicemail that you had to go over and, and, and listen <laughs> to. Right. So uh, Joe had called and said that uh, he was going to go run Red Rocks, which is a, it's got a legendary workout here at Red Rocks Amphitheater. Want to know if I wanted to go. So of course I, I had to go. So Joe understands conditioning. He understands lifting. I mean, he, 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 if he wasn't a GM, he'd be a great strength coach. So um, I, I got to, you know, bounce stuff off at him, him early on. Um, but, you know, I just went in with, with basic strength and conditioning principles and applied them to hockey, you know, that they, they need to be faster they need to be stronger. They need to be more resilient um, injuries, things like that. We had uh, a great, um, medical staff, you know, we, we put together a, a hip and a shoulder routine to kind of reduce hip injuries and, and uh, shoulder injuries, things like that. So it was, it was, it was not rocket surgery. It was, it was basic strength and conditioning. Uh, but I learned a ton that first year. You know, I, I, uh, I remember we played Phoenix in the first round of the playoffs and, and we had uh, like, like you said, Mike, we had a tremendous team. We won the, our division with like two months left. You know, so so we didn't coast at all, but you know, it was it was easy, you know, and you know that was my first year. I thought everything was great, and then we play Phoenix in the playoffs, and holy crap, like it's a different level. And then we played Vancouver in the second round, and it's a net, another level. So that the the level of professionalism of them to turn that on and then turn it higher and higher, and then how fatigued they are, and uh, their nutritional needs, and sleep, and stress. I mean, it was a um, it was a big learning curve that first year. It, it was, it was, it was uh, eye-opening me. And frankly, that just by watching that first year made me a better strength coach because I, 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 I soaked it all in and, and, you know, had a lot of good professionals to talk to. Uh, talked to Peter Twist every time I went up to Vancouver. Um, JJ, who's down in, in Dallas. Um, you know, just lots of people to bounce questions off of and they were, they were all very helpful. So. Um, just went from there uh, and then Hartley that your second part of the question Hartley um, likes to bag skate yeah, he likes he likes the guys to to know he's the head coach and he likes likes them to feel it so I I immediately recognized that and tried to um, set up workouts that didn't um, compound that that work on him so if I could get him to tell me actually what he was going to do that day and not not uh, go off course, uh, we could kind of mesh things. So, you know, I, I could pick the leg days and <clears throat> pick kind of the, the days where I wanted to do a little more cardio or, or what have you. Um, but yeah, it was a hit and miss with him. Uh, Coach Granado was very good. Tony Granado gets it. Uh, Coach Quinville got it. So we, we, could, we could talk about what was going on that day, what the week looked like. And I could kind of uh, set those workouts to compliment what he was doing though so yeah Hartley was a, a different kind of cat I think we're gonna we're gonna get to talking about coaches in a minute but I want to I want to stay on the 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 theme of of mentors and and building relationships with with people you learn from something Reg Grant talked about was how much he learned learned from guys like Yager and it sounds like you had a similar uh, relationship with a guy like Joe Sackick in terms of like you were technically their coach but you're also learning from, from them. So could you just expand on in that first year, what some of those key lessons were that you learned from the people around you, whether that was someone like Skip Allen, who was your predecessor or, or like Joe Sackick. I, I make no, no bones about it. We had fantastic players and fantastic leadership. You know, my, my 11 years there was, um, it wasn't painful. Like I, I, I could get stuff done. I had a lot of support. Players were great. Um, the the one story that you know only hockey people could really understand. <clears throat> we um, it was my second year, and we were playing in Calgary, and we were at um, dinner. I was at dinner with the um, equipment guy, and there's players around us at the steakhouse, and all of a sudden everybody's phones start ringing, and I don't have a phone. You know, this is 2001. I still don't have a phone. I didn't get a phone until 2009, <laughs> uh, and 
everybody's phone started ringing. So equipment guy looks at his phone. He's like, holy shit, we just got Ray Bork. You know, and people got up in the middle of dinner and, you know, threw the money on the table and took off. And, you know, I, obviously I knew who Ray was. Um, so the next morning he, he showed up and, you know, we had a really good team. I, I mean, we were good. And um, it changed the, the, the tempo of our team instantly when Ray walked in the door. And the, one of the best stories I have is uh, we were, um, it was, so we played Calgary, we won, and then we took the bus from Calgary to Edmonton. <clears throat> and I'm in like the third seat back and Ray's up in the front by himself. Uh, Joe's over by himself, and Foot is standing, is sitting over there. Peter Forsberg and and uh, and uh, Patrick Waugh are all sitting at their 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 own seats. And you know, once the bus gets going, um, Patrick Waugh comes up and he goes, "Hey, can you move back a couple seats?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure." So I move back, and all five of them sat there and talked about the important games coming up. Um, and the coaches are sitting up front, you know, but they're sitting behind them talking about how they're going to play each game, which game they, they really need to, to focus on this and this and that. And just to see that the captains and the leadership um, want to win. I mean, it, it was incredible. So, um, and I had that wrong. That was our first year and we lost to Dallas in, in seventh games. The second year, um, it was, it was a completely different feeling from camp on, you know, when you walked in, we knew we were going to win. There was no doubt about it. And um, just the Ray's presence and Joe's presence. And we had Rob Blake and we had um, footy and Patrick Waugh and all the other role players. Like there was no doubt that we were going to win. And when we would tie, it was like we lost. I mean, the guys were pissed and uh, it was an incredible season. So it's just by sitting there listening to them talk, I got a better understanding of, leadership you know there there's good leadership isn't the only leadership there's bad leadership and i've seen that too but uh, these guys and to to hartley's credit he stepped back and let the leaders lead you know and they were fantastic just the, the topics they talked about on that bus ride um it, it, i made me a better strength coach just listening to him and understanding winning you know and, and some people didn't like some of those guys you know especially patrick law but that dude wanted to win I mean, and he was a good man. They were all good, good people. They wanted to win and uh, they knew how to do it. And you get eight guys like that together on a team of 21 guys that want to win. It was, it was destiny. It was great. Um, as far as strength coach mentors, like I mentioned Peter twist. I remember um, I was having issues with um, our head trainer at the time. And I went and talked to Peter and he, he kind of explained to me and it, the old guard is kind of leaving in pro sports, but it used to be with the head trainer did everything. He did the nutrition, he did the strength conditioning, you know, along with the, the, the uh, equipment guy, they did travel, they did everything. So when strength coaches came in um, and I, I came in, when I came in the league, there was half the teams had strength coaches, you know, that's half, you know, 26 at the time, 13 teams had strength coaches. That was it. Montreal, I think was the last one to get one. I mean, they had Scott Livingston for a little bit, but um, it's, you would go to their facility and there would be an old monarch with like an old jock hanging on it. And that was it, you know? So uh, when strength coaches came in, the, the trainers were, especially our trainer, was a little reluctant to let stuff go and let us do our thing. Uh, Peter kind of explained to me how trainers were in hockey and then, you know, you could see it in, in football and baseball and all that kind of stuff. So I, I had experienced that. I came from college. So, um, you know, he gave me kind of a, a lay of the land on the, uh, the, uh, trainer stuff along with Mike Boyle. I, I ran into him at a, at a conference one time and sat down and talked to him and, you know, the, that kind of, um, sharing of information from the seasoned veterans to a, a you know, a young rookie. I, I really appreciate that. It kind of, it's kind of set my, my tone for the rest of my, my career on how to handle situations and management and all those kind of things. Yeah, and it, another great story, my very first day, very first day at the avalanche, I walk in the facility and Alexei Gusarov is in there. He's the second player from the red army to, to, um, to leave Russia. You know, he defected. Defected, right? Yeah. Yeah. He, he was at Quebec. They were in some tournament in Canada. He walked out the back of the hotel. And so he defected. The dude has got stories. So I, I meet him, he's upstairs, talk to him. And as I'm walking out, 
in his thick Russian accent. He says, if you want to make it in this league, learn French. <laughs> because our entire staff was French. And and uh, it was good advice, but I didn't learn French. But, uh, yeah, they, uh, those, those seasoned vets, the coaches, the, the players, they – they know how to get things done, you know, and, and if you don't listen to your elders and you think, you know, it all, you're not going to make it. You know, these people help me, help me to where I am today. And even listening to your peers, kind of like you said, also, I want to yeah. stay on this theme of winning and, and Mike, you can speak of this too. Cause you've also had a made a run to the cup finals. What's the difference in, and, and Paul in 2001, you guys won it all. So what's the difference in that feel during, maybe during a cup run, uh, and during those runs, what is the strength conditioning coach's job? Is it your job to just kind of like let keep letting the leaders lead and just like, okay, don't mess anything up? Or like, how do you think about your role during those long playoff runs? Um, well, <clears throat> so my role was triage, you know, keep them on the ice and, and, along with the, with the trainers. So they, they, that first round, uh, Typically, we would, we would be playing a lower seed, and we would, you know, just walk walk through them. The year we won the cup, we swept three of the or two. We swept two of the uh, of the four, and then we went to five with one and seven with the other. Is that right? No, two two seven game. Anyways, it was a lot of games, um, and I I can remember we were we were playing the Kings, and I look over at Rob Blake at the team meal, and he he just looks skinny. His face is emaciated. This is the second round. Um, and he, we had just traded for him earlier in the season from LA where he was the the captain and uh, the dude was stressed, man. This is his, his team that we were playing and now he's on this team. And uh, he, I'm not lying. I look over and he's got a plate of spaghetti and two forks and he's eating with two forks because he wants to go to sleep because he hasn't slept very well. Um, and the dude was 220 pounds, like 6% body fat. The dude was a, a machine, but even a seasoned veteran like him was stressed. And that was the year. I mean, we're, we're winning, we're playing to win the cup, but it's Ray Bork's swan song, man. We're playing for Ray. And um, so <laughs> we're up three games to one and all of a sudden it's three to three and we're going back on the plane after losing in LA. And I, I you know, I'm, I'm not a player, I'm just on the team, but I was devastated that we were going to game six. Like we're supposed to win this cup. We're supposed to, it's our destiny. And we, we're losing to shitty Los Angeles and it's three to three. I remember going home and mowing my lawn and, and just going, this can't be real. This, you know, what, what's the problem? And then we came back in game seven and smashed them like six to one or something like that. But, um, but the, it, it just gets more and more intense, especially when you know that you're supposed to win. You know, if, if you're playing a team that's um, you're not supposed to win or it's supposed to be tough. It's, it's different. But when you're, when you have that confidence and you're rolling, uh, it's a, a special feeling. Um, yeah. That my last game actually was uh, the second round against San Jose and uh, everybody knew that we were going to get past them. You know, the, the players and everybody knew that we weren't going to get past them, but um, different feel than when you know, you're going to, you're going to beat them. So um, my role is to uh, keep them recovered uh, keep them fed, uh, stress management, all that kind of stuff. And again, if you don't, if you're not aware of that and you have your cookie cutter program and you want to do this and this and this, you're going to fail. Um, we played St. Louis, uh, in the playoffs. And I remember walking by their locker room and the players bitching because they had to work out after the game. And it was like game four or something like that in the second round. And I, it was a hard game. Like I, I, you have to give the, the players um, credit. They, they know, especially the older ones that you let the leaders lead. Uh, another, another great story, that same uh, series where we're playing LA. Um, we had two days between the games and we were supposed to play, or we're supposed to, I had a workout all set up. Uh, we're staying in a hotel right on the beach. You know, I was going to have this nice workout, a recovery workout. Um, and we're in Colorado, you know, we don't get a lot of, um, warm weather here. So it's, it, this is the second round. The players start showing up. I got guys doing, you know, like recovery stuff and uh, Adam foot and Rob Blake walk up to me and they said, we're not working out. I'm like, dude, you guys are captains. You can't do this to me. And they're like, we're going to go to the, <laughs> we're going to go to the tanning bed. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> can I say fuck on here? Yeah, you can say fuck. <laughs> 
and I was pissed. I'm like, guys, what are you doing? And they're, and Rob Blake, the dude is, was a professional every day of the year, you know, and he's like, I'm going to the tanning bed. I'm like, all right, just don't tell any of the rookies, just leave, you know? So <laughs> comes back, we smash him. Rob has like two goals, you know, it's a fantastic game. And I, and I remember sitting on the plane going, what, what? was it that tanning bed? <laughs> You know, it, it vitamin D, you know, like, like they were fatigued and this vitamin D to the sun, because we don't get sun here in the winter. We do, but not that intense, you know, the look good, feel good. I mean, sun, sunlight has some value in this stuff. So I, you know, I sat on the plane and I'm like, God damn it. They're right. You know, like this was a recovery thing for those guys and they play a ton of minutes, you know, those are 22, 24 minute guys. And, and, uh, I'm like, man, listen to your leaders. I just kept thinking to myself, you know, and I, would I let Alex Tangay, who was 19 at the time, do that? Hell no, you know, but these are guys that know. And Rob lived in LA, still lives in LA. And uh, listen to him, man, you know. Those guys, those guys would have such a training bank account built up with you anyway, right? At, at, oh, yeah. like, at the time, especially Rob, you know, because we got him after he was with you guys and he was amazing. He was our captain, right? So yeah. those uh, guys put pennies in the bank every day, man. And, and they, they, they know when to withdraw them. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. That the, it's funny. Cause like David, we really haven't had, um, we never really talked about the playoffs with a guest, you know? So it's a, it's a real cool segment for the listeners here. Like play Goldie's right. The playoffs are a different animal. Like I, I, my first year, I could not believe how much we played Nashville in the first round, my first year. And, we were, we were a good team. I could not believe how faster it got, how, how, how more how intense it got. It's like crazy. it might've been 30 hits aside in the first 10 minutes of the first period of my first <laughs> playoff game. I, I couldn't believe it. And then you win that game. We won that game and you're such on an emotional high and you're like, Oh my God, we got to win 15 more to win a Stanley cup. Like it's said, and then you lose, you lose one. So the series is one and one. And then you're like, oh my God, we're dead. We're done. We're not, we're not. It, that is the roller coaster. It, there's nothing in the middle. But I mean, our run, I learned, and it was in 2016, right? So it's pretty much 10 years into my time here. It was how you have to stay even keel as a staff member. The players need something to ground on, and, and it has to be the staff. And I think Goldie would, would agree. Like, I remember one of the team meals that I was setting up, they didn't have wild rice and the shit hit the fan. It's like, Mike, we need wild rice. I'm like, they don't have it. Like I, I'm not going, I can't go to the store and get it so they can prepare it. But it, it thought, they thought it was the end of the world because that they just needed that consistency. Right. And, and, and then you have guys who are just mental midgets and they're like, I can't eat this food. And it's the finals. I'm like, we've been having the same meal for two months. Like, what do you mean? You can't have it. Like you're the leading scorer amongst defensemen in the playoffs. Like, some it's been working i think so yeah it's interesting yeah there, there's there uh the, the assistant trainer who's now the head trainer matt sokolowski uh, after that first game in phoenix i remember we were walking down the stairs from the plane i'm like or that we're walking up the stairs we had just gone up two games and to to no, nothing on him and we're headed to phoenix and i'm like man this is this is crazy what do i need to know and, and i remember he turns around and says don't get too high don't get too low you know, you, you got to stay, you know, it, and, you know, that old saying, be like, be like the duck, you know, you're calm on the, above water, but your legs are going like hell underneath. That's, that's the way it was, man. It, it, and then the deeper you go, you know, more and more things are on the line. And I'm sure Mike will agree with this and the players own it. You know, the players can't control it. So it'll be overtime in between periods and the guys walk in and they sit down and start bullshitting with each other. You know, they turn it off and the staff's, you know, going batshit trying to get everything set up. The players are joking around, no big deal. And then, you know, the, the horn goes off and five minutes before they get their game face back on and they go out and they do it. Cause they, they control it. We don't control it. And man, overtime in the third round or in the, in the, the cup finals is the most stressful thing I've ever gone through in my life. It, it is. And honestly, like, cause it can end you got <laughs> you got to get their recovery drinks out. You got to help the equipment guys. You got to set up all the stuff and it can end in a second, you know, good or bad. Kind of pivoting a little bit Goldie to kind of the X's and O's of it, the sets and reps side of, of what you've been doing and what you 
what you uh, are doing now with the military. What what did you find in the beginning? What did you find like from a technical standpoint didn't work? And then as you grew in the position and, and learned more um, later in your time in the NHL, what did you find that did work better? Um, I, I found, you know, if you want to go off of the just periodization, things like that, I had to be flexible with it because things would change, especially with Hartley. So I would have a, an A plan and a B plan and a C plan, um, depending on how we did, depending on time, uh, uh, overtime, what have you for, for the, and this was when they had straight overtime when I started for regular season. Um, so you had to be flexible. I had my, my overall periodization for the, the entire year, actually. So um, I would start in camp and then I would go all the way through the playoffs and then to that summer on what I wanted to do. So I would just kind of flex off of what needed to be done for that day. Uh, you know, we would, we would have, you'd have to pick and choose your heavy days for, for strength. Um, I would try and hit at least, um, you know, upper body, lower body, push, pull, you know, power movement each, each time we worked out, you know, sometimes combos or um, complex training where I'd, I'd pair a, a strength movement with a plyo movement or something like that, but you had to, you had to be careful because you could, you could push into overtraining in a heartbeat. Um, and I, I was really careful that first year um, to make sure I, I, I didn't do that. And then by the second year, I, I kind of got the, my groove and, and kind of picked on what we had to do. Uh, and then, you know, talking about those leaders, I had some, some old dudes and, you know, Ray was, was 43, I think. Um, and he's, he's a, uh, a Mike Boyle guy. So he knew what he was doing. Um, but you know, you still have to support him and, 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 uh, give him the, the workout and all that kind of stuff. But then I had Alex Tangay who was 18 and was, I, I love Alex, but he was soft as a kitten, man. I, he was, he was, he could score. He scored the game winner in our game seven against New Jersey in the cup. The guy could score flat out scoring and he could skate, but you just looked at him wrong and he would fall down. So um, I had to, you know, build him. I had to, I had to build him and I had to um, protect Ray in the weight room. So, you know, you have, you have 22 guys in there, 23 guys in there, and you have to have them all working together and they know they're working together uh, to, you know, they're, they're supporting each other, but I got one guy who's on a, a building program and I got one guy who's on a maintenance program and, you know, Peter Forsberg, who was continually injured and Joe Sackick, who wanted to do Olympic lifts every day. So you, you, you have a, have to have a picture of what you want to do that day. And then you got to have individual workouts for the, for the guys who need this and the guys who need that. So no, no magic sauce. It's just uh, time management and, and budgeting um, what guys are going to do, how they're going to do it and having a big picture, the 30,000 foot view of how we're going to do this over the year. Did you, um, did you have kind of an, an elaborate testing scheme in the beginning, like to just to assess when guys came in for the preseason or was it just, you know what, I got the coaches dictated a little bit of what the testing was. And then it was a couple of things that you wanted to see done as well. Yeah, that pretty much. So my first year there, it, the, the coaching or the coaches had what they wanted. Um, you know, they wanted VO2. I talked them into Wingate. Um, they, they, they were stuck on VO2, just like, you know, I don't know if it's that way when you came into the league, Mike, but in the, the late 90s, VO2 was it, um, and it shouldn't be. So I, I got them to do uh, Wingate. We did lactate testing. Um, you know, then I would pair all that stuff with their heart rate. Uh, but, again, I had – had a great team those first six years and then they, they would come in shape. Uh, so it, I didn't really get any, um, I didn't have to, to show bad numbers to the coaches. The coaches just want to know if people came in shape and, and they did. Uh, my last few years, I, I started adding blood testing and um, some power movements, um, vertical jump and, and things like that. Um, grip strength. I just started adding all that kind of stuff in. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a change for them. Another, another great story. So uh, my very first training camp, we're down at the world arena down here in Colorado Springs. And um, it's actually the first time I meet most of the guys. Some of the guys weren't there that summer. And uh, so practice is going to start soon. So I say, all right, guys, let's go out in the, 
the hallway here, we're going to do dynamic warm-up. I get him up there lined up, and Claude Lemieux is in the front row, and he goes, what are we doing? And I said, we're going to do dynamic warm-up. And he walks off, just walks into the locker room. They had, no one had ever seen it before. This is 99. No one had ever seen a dynamic warm-up. And, you know, in, in the college ranks, we've been doing it for years. And I look over at Joe, and <laughs> Joe goes, hold on. So he goes and gets him, and Joe says, can you explain to him why we need to do this? So I explained to everybody, you know, get – get the juices flowing, flexibility, da, 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 da. And so they bought in, but yeah, Claude Lemieux was like, who are you and why, why are we doing this? You know, yeah. I should drink in my coffee, you know, BSing with people changing my, my laces, not doing this. So uh, yeah, there, there was no such thing as dynamic warm up back then, none. So uh, adding things in uh, took time. I, I took, so I'm also a registered dietitian that first year I took all the sodas and all the beer off the flights and I thought I was going to get fired. I legit thought I was going to get fired. And I think Joe saved me again. Um, I would have thought you would have gotten beat up. <laughs> like, that's not, that's not a fireball offense. You get your ass kicked for that. Personally, <laughs> I was a little bigger than most of them, but yeah, uh, they, uh, they, man, that was a revolt. You know, we, we always have soda. We always have beer. Hey man, you know, that's weird. If you want to win, you got to start making some sacrifices. And here I am, you know, a football strength coach that's younger than most of these guys, telling them how to win. And fortunately, again, I had good leadership, and they they supported it. Yeah, that's awesome. There are a lot of similarities between. Well, I guess it's more of a transition question. You transition out of the NHL. Now you're with the military in a very elite group for our, for our service services. A lot of similarities going into what you're doing now. Um, uh, ages maybe you know that the span of ages that you had to deal with the Tangay slash Ray Bork kind of thing or uh yes and no that the so did you guys say you talked to Ray Bear yeah, yeah. yeah so Ray and I and Mark Stevenson who was at Colorado College and um Mike Sanders who's at University of Denver we got recruited by the SEALs from our jobs because someone had told them that hockey strength coaches are the way you want to go because it, it'll it'll fit better with your 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 service members and it's true like the the, the military's got a a legit teamwork thing you know like if i could bottle how they work together and if i could bottle their their honest um like bravery and confidence and sell it to pro teams i'd be a billionaire like these guys know what to do and they know how to do it and they're not afraid to do it and they're committed to it you know the mission is is a job so um hockey was the closest match you know i i think my my having my hockey background and stepping right in and working with naval special warfare um set me up for for success you know it's it's a very team oriented um situation same with, with hockey and uh, just the work ethic and, and things like that the the big difference is um you know sports there's another day you know it failure in in military is catastrophic so that when when people ask me you know what's the what's the grind you know so in college it's in pro it's it's time you know you're you're there 12 hours a day travel blah 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 the grind for us is you know we, we lose people they don't come back you know there's trades in hockey and things like that and um you know losing people is tough you know you and and but on the other side of that, this is the most rewarding job I've ever had. You know, I, I, I wouldn't trade a second with the avalanche. It, it was fantastic. I loved every minute of it, but this is rewarding. You know, the, you're helping people um, protect our country, protect us, protect our families. Uh, you're, you're teaching them valuable things to help them be more lethal and more survivable. Um, and it's, uh, it's great. And they are so appreciative. You know, they're they're You don't have the, the locker room lawyers and the locker room strength coaches, you know, these guys want your help and they, they value it and um, they, they put an emphasis on it. So uh, they're not doing it for a paycheck. They're not doing any of that stuff. Uh, like you said, Dave, uh, it's hard to find social media and stuff on these guys. They're, they're, they're quiet professionals. Uh, they want to do their job and they want to want to do it correct. So coming from hockey, that hard work, teamwork, uh, goal-oriented stuff. That's that's what uh, set me up for success for where I'm at now. Mentioned there that you were. And this is something I found in my my research that I could pull up is that you're a registered sports dietitian. Correct. And 
both both in the NHL and and in the military, you can speak to either either or, or both. Uh, how how did that support you uh, in your career, and and how did the role of strength coach as kind of nut- pseudo nutritionist also evolve uh, throughout your career? Um, well, all right, I'll go back to um, my undergrad. I, I told my uh, my um, counselor in college I wanted to work with pro athletes. And she was this little athletic trainer, kind of a hippie. And she had great foresight. She said, you know, well, if you want to work in the pros, you got to make yourself invaluable. So let's look at two hats. You can wear two hats. So we, we looked at massage therapy, physical trainer, physical therapist, you know, and she said dietitian. I'm like, shit, I love food. This is perfect. You know, so um, that's when I went to Colorado State and started working that that angle where I had, you know, I was going to be a restaurant dietitian and a strength coach. The, uh, the sports nutrition field wasn't really big back then. You know, I, I found uh, her name was Jackie burning. She was the dietitian for the Broncos and the Rockies weren't here at the time and the nuggets. And she worked at university of Colorado. So I just called her up and said, can I, you know, carry folders for you and just listen to you talk. So that's how I got in that side of it. Um, she also became the dietitian for the, uh, Avalanche. So she also had a, a, a role in helping me get this job. Um, if I, especially nowadays, but back then too, if, if I didn't have those dual hats, um, I probably wouldn't have got the jobs I got. Um, you know, I, I can, I, I can k- kill two birds with one stone with my, my, uh, you know, having these, these two certifications. So, uh, I think, you know, for any your young listeners, if you want to get into this field, make yourself invaluable, you know, have, have something that no one else has. You got to separate yourself. When I started strength coaching, you didn't need a master's like GAs were, you know, there were spots all over the place where you could be a GA and to be an assistant, you didn't need to be, have a master's. Now you got to have a master's to be even looked at anywhere. Um, So the, the, the career field is evolving but find something to separate yourself on, on the dietitian side of it. There is a, there's a nutritionist who, you know, by, by definition is anybody who knows anything about nutrition. And then there's a, a, and there's some fantastic nutritionists out there, but then there's the dietitian where you have to go to school, get a degree, you're recognized by the state government. You have a certification, you can work in hospitals, blah, blah, blah. So it's, it's two different fields. It's like personal training and strength coaches. They're similar, um, but the requirements are different. I kind of have, you know, different, different things. So both valid. Um, it's just a different, different path. So there was very few registered dietitians, uh, out there and with state register uh, state laws and things like that to work with anybody who has a medical nutrition problem, you have to be a dietitian. So there is a, a huge, um, gap in between, Hey, eat carbs and eat this and do this and then talking about health. So the, the, the role of the dietitian really picked up once um, pro sports started hiring them. They, start, they started seeing the benefits on, on what a nutritionist or a, a dietitian could do. Um, I just happened to have those two degrees at the time. Um, and sports nutrition in hockey uh, wasn't a, um, a big thing, you know, especially in the younger, the, the older, older guys. Um, Again, the first time I walked in, it was a preseason game. We played in Pittsburgh. It was our very first preseason game. And I walked in the locker room and here's a cattle trough full of beer in the locker room right after the game. And we have to get on a plane and go to Philadelphia. And I'm like, why is there beer for recovery? You know, and and everybody's grabbing them, you know. And so I go to Joe and I'm like, Joe, is this normal? He's like, this is normal. So that was one of the things I had to change. we started doing uh, recovery drinks and I would put them in their locker and then they wouldn't drink them. So I had to put it, I tricked them and I put it where their helmet went. So they had to grab it to put their helmet there. So now the drinks in their hand. So um, I, all I said was, Hey, you want to have one or two beers? Great. But you got to drink this first. Um, so that's how I cracked it out. I didn't take beer away from immediately. Uh, probably by the time third or fourth year beer in the locker room was, was gone. Um, but that's, you know, that's one of the traditions that makes hockey great, you know, things like that, those old stories. And you hear the, the, the way they, you know, Alexei Gusarov would go have a cigarette between periods, you know, like those dudes could play. Uh, they, they didn't do all the best with their body, but you know, they, they could, those dudes could play. So, you, you know, you gotta, 
you got to respect their traditions and, and what they do, but um, nutritionally and strength training and health wise, some of them aren't the best. And um, that would be my role to step in and, and, uh, and try and educate them on the health side of doing things correct, you know, and longitudinal too. If you want them to, <clears throat> if you want to play past three or four years, <clears throat> you need to work on being healthy, you know? So a lot of the guys, and I'm sure Michael agree with this, <clears throat> a lot of the guys eating, eating and drinking, um, uh, habits would change as soon as they got married or had a, had a serious girlfriend. So, so we were always praying for the, uh, the younger guys to hook up with somebody and get married because then we could get <laughs> yeah, smart enough. Yeah. I want to underscore, uh, the, the theme of, of being interdisciplinary. And this is something that has come up a bunch on the podcast. Uh, most recently, Matt Nickel, uh, talked about it a bit. And I think having more than one skill, right? Like it's almost impossible to be the best at one thing, but if you have like two or three skills and you can kind of like triangulate into now an area where like you you're the only one with that skill set right and that's that philosophy is pretty much why i study writing in college um also i, I want to along the same theme of like kind of taking a holistic approach uh i found this you you won an outstanding alumnus award uh with with your alma mater uh colorado state and i said you got this award for uh, the preservation of the force and family program which is an innovative program that you helped build to investigate efficacy and impact. Um, and that the program is built, was built on taking a holistic approach in addressing the toll that more than a decade of deployments have taken on service members. I'm wondering if you could touch on that and sort of like how your different skill sets and kind of interdisciplinary uh, skills uh, helped that come about and helped you make an impact on those service members. Okay, well, first, that, that program is a, a SOCOM level program. So SOCOM is a Special Operations Command. So they're, they're in charge of all special operations for, for the U.S. <clears throat> um, it's it's their, their program. I just work under that umbrella. Uh, it, is, it is morphed, and it started in 2012, and it's morphed into um, it's a pretty good program. So, uh, you know, our, our job is to win. Um, you know, that's the military's job. So uh, that's first and foremost is win, win, win the fight, be more lethal and be survivable. So that's what we work off of. But then there's the, you know, they come home from deployment and these guys are a wreck. You know, they have been uh, stimulated, uh, you know, in, in a war theater for six months. And now they come back and they have a newborn that they haven't met yet. Their wife is got a, a honeydew list that's, you know, 10 feet long. Um, and they have to go from being a warrior to a husband in one day. Uh, it, it's a, it's a challenge. Some, some guys can turn it on and off, but, uh, you do that over 10, 12 years, multiple deployments. And, you know, some of the stuff that these guys do, uh, you know, weighs on them, you add in TBIs, add in all kinds of stuff, sleep deprivation, and it, it adds up and it, it creates a, um, a bad human and not, not, I don't mean bad as the way they act, but they're not healthy. So this program uh, from soup to nuts goes from when they walk in the door, when they first become a, a soldier to when we, um, when they, they retire and we put out a healthy product that can, you know, still pick up their kid and play with their kid and their, their functioning member of society. So it is a holistic program from top to bottom, you know, we, we deal with, um, marriage problems, alcoholism, suicide, ideation, su suicide, ide suicide kills the most soldiers, special forces soldiers, um, in the last six years than anything else. It, it's a, a serious problem. Um, the, the travel, the sleep hormones, you know, the, the SOCOM and the department of defense has given us carte blanche to research this and help our soldiers. So uh, things that I didn't go to school for, you know, TBI stuff. I, I've gone to TBI clinics. I've gone to suicide prevention things and how TBI and suicide and lack of sleep and, you know, lack of vitamin D, all that kind of stuff, it all ties together. Um, so similar, but completely different. My last year with the avalanche, we started doing blood tests and we started seeing our high, um, High numbers got high, high time guys, you know, playing a lot, having um, low testosterone, low vitamin D and anemia. So anemia is, you don't see that in meat eaters. And these guys are meat eaters. 
so something was going on and, and I, I left when when all that data was coming out but you know these guys too like especially in the playoffs man it's stress and stress and no sleep and eating wrong and um you know all those challenges so it, it, it's the the life of an athlete and a life of a a, a military especially special forces it, it's similar in in some ways um the physiologically the physiological stuff the tbis the injuries it adds up. And if you don't take care of it from day one and educate the, the soldier or the athlete, um, you're going to have a wreck on your hands at some point, you know, and um, sometimes that ends with alcoholism and divorce. Sometimes it ends with suicide, unfortunately, uh, making bad choices in, you know, as a civilian, um, as a strength coach, if you just think, uh, that you are just a numbers guy and you're doing strength conditioning, you're completely wrong. You're a counselor as well. So one of the best classes I ever took in college was a counseling class for my, my nutrition stuff. And, you know, man, you get in there with those guys and they start talking, you know, I, I, I could write a book on just the stuff I, I heard with the avalanche. And if you don't know how to handle a guy who's having trouble with his wife and he's just talking to you, um, you know, you can help him, you know, uh, you can, you can help get them all kinds of help, you know, psychological marriage help, you know, just, you don't have to answer him. You can just know where to send him to help him. Um, we're, we're trusted agents. I'm sure Mike has plenty of stories where guys had come into him with a problem and said, Hey, I got this. Can you help me? And he knows that Mike has resources, but he doesn't, he's, he's not going to put his neck on the line and go tell the GM cause he might get fired. So, um, that, that as a strength coach in this profession, it, it is a relationship driven profession. If they don't like you and they don't trust you, you're not going to make it. I don't care how good a numbers guy you are. Um, they got to respect you. And once they do that, you're part of the team and they are going to ask you for help. You're going to hear stories. Um, and if you're not set up to help them, you know, if you're just going to put your head in the stand saying you're not doing your job, you know, uh, being a strength coach is, is much more dynamic than just numbers so um yeah it, it, it short story long uh the program i'm in is very holistic and it has made me a better man by being in this this position and understanding a lot more of the world and how the world works and how people work and how you know relationships and how the brain works and, and everything so um yeah the, the holistic view uh, I didn't understand it when I first started, but it is definitely um, a part of of my career now. There's a lot to those stories, Goldie. They're amazing, and I think we, we've talked about, you know, we, we've in my experience with pararescuemen who are national guardsmen, um, they're not active duty, but you know, we've talked on this podcast about okay, these young young professionals out there in strength and conditioning. When when you and I were, were learning and getting our bachelor's degree, the, the big jobs were in college, right? But now the military has invested a lot of resources, to say the least, into jobs that are military performance related. And it's great. It's a, it's a wonderful avenue to for a young professional to look at. I think you would agree. Um, but, you know, beyond the sets and reps, and I think that's all you hear about, right? That's all that's written on the internet is knew this, knew that, and, and try this different strategy. But we really don't talk about beyond sets and reps where you're right, you're going to be a counselor. You're going to, um, you're going to have to deal with sleep disturbances, domestic issues back at home, you know, maybe newborn baby in the house, right. Or, uh, and with your guys being deployed and being reinstituted back into society, right. Um, it's an amazing job, but you also got to take into consideration all of those things. If you're a young professional going into that, that field sets and reps is going to be a minimal part of it, you know, but it's very, really good advice about, you know, where to look, a counseling program would be unbelievable, like to have a little bit of that psychology background, if you're up and coming and looking to expand your skill set. Yeah, I don't want to, I don't want what I said to be confused, like, I, I don't counsel anybody, I, right. I, I know where to refer them to, I know how to kind of let them know it's okay, hey, we're going to get you help, but we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Um, you know, one of the questions I ask everyone who, who um, I interview is tell me, tell me an ethical dilemma that you had to deal with. You know, there, there is 
constant ethical stuff from the college level all the way up to to you know pro to where I'm at. You're going to run across things that you don't like, maybe illegal, you know, drugs, what have you. And if you don't have a plan on how you handle that stuff, and you freak out, um, this may not be the field for you. Um, you know, they're they're again, like I said, when when uh, when I got in this field in the first time I, I did coaching, you, you understand and. and I'm sure you've seen it too, Mike. You have a, a player who doesn't understand why coaches do things. And as soon as they get on the other side of the bench and they're the, the coach now, the light goes on. Oh, wow. This is a lot bigger issue than just playing playing time. So, um, yeah, it, you got to look at the whole picture as, as a coach. As you're a young coach, it's your job to learn, you know, and from your mentors. Um, I had a, a mentor teach me when I was young. He said, argue like you're right, listen like you're wrong. So I, I, I live by that, you know, I, I, there's people that I've worked with that I did not like or respect, but I learned from them, learned how to do things or how not to do things. Uh, learn from everybody you see, you know, read all you can volunteer, you know, if something's interesting to you, seek out somebody that can help you. Uh, like I said, I, I, I didn't know Peter Twist walked into his office, introduced myself and, and he was he was gracious enough to sit down and talk to me. I was a young coach who needed help and, 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 you know, don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be, you know, put your ego away. You're, you know, you're not, you're not the show. You know, I, I saw a strength coach had a, a, uh, it got sent to me, a, did a photo shoot. A strength coach did a photo shoot in the NHL kind of made me chuckle that he's, he's, I told him when I saw him that he was the best looking or the prettiest strength coach in the NHL. I don't think you like that, but um, you know, you, you got to be humble, man. You you got to know your place. You know, we're, we're strength coaches. We are support, and we're we're supposed to be in the background helping the people that we help, um, you know, achieve their goals. And if if you're living off people's people's successes to make you look better, that's I I, I don't I don't subscribe to that. Well said. Well said. Um, last question from me, and then I know David wants to follow up. Um, your performance director, and and you know that that role has exploded in our in our our profession, right? Whether it be, you know, the position starts in the EPL, and then it goes from there to rugby, and and across all the way to Australia, and New Zealand, and, and whatever have you. But now it's here in the states, right? And you're in a role where you're very much a performance director overseeing a lot of resources. So how, how do you, what are some of the big strategies for you to manage those resources now that you have multiple strength coaches, dietitians, possibly recovery specialists and soft tissue and under the POTIF program, how are you managing all those things? Um, well, I, I, I re rely on, you know, some of the things I was taught when I was younger is, is you surround yourself with, good people. So uh, I, I make it very important when I do interviews to get the right fit, you know, physiology is physiology. And there are some really good strength coaches out there that are introverts and they can't get along with people and they don't like talking to people, but they write great programs and they understand physiology. They have their place. Um, there's other strength coaches out there that are, you know, they're walking around the, the gym with their coffee cup, just BSing with everybody. And, um, you know, they're, they're great on the social side of it. You know, they have their place, but uh, where I'm at, I have to have people who work, they, they work hard and do the right thing. Uh, you know, there's a, a security clearance that has to go along with this. So they have to have some moral, moral fiber to them. Um, and I, I feel, you know, along with my staff, we, we get the right fit to do the job that we need done. So, uh, when you hire those right people and you support them and you let them do their job, um, good things happen. You know, I, I'm not a micromanager by any any means. I I tell them what I expect and then I inspect what I expect, but I don't micromanage at all. Um, and just managing the program is is the you have to look at the goal of the program. It's survivability and lethality, winning the fight. You know, we're, that we if we ever go to war with China or Russia, um, it's going to be nasty and we have to be ready for it. You know, um, 
we've been in a 20 year war now and, and we're seeing the fallout of all the TBIs and suicides and all that kind of stuff. So we have to, we have to be on that front, but the goal of the program is to create better warriors, um, from the neck up and the neck down. So that's that's our goal. So we always lean, put our back against that and say, are we doing the right thing? Are we creating the best um, soldier we can? Um, and then you manage from that. So budget, I'm getting a new building. Um, I'm hiring some new people. Um, what higher command wants, what our command wants, the deployments, all that kind of stuff. It, it's a a time management thing. So I, I, I need to know when uh, something's going to be done or something needs to be needed. Um, I task it out and I just, um, you know, I have fantastic support and fantastic staff. Um, it, it makes it easy to lean on them to get the, the right things done. So that's how I manage it. Um, I have the right people in the right spots. That's great. Well, one, one last question. I've asked this, I've asked this a bunch of a lot of our alumni, what bad advice do you hear often or, what recommendations do you think strength coaches should ignore and or um, what good advice would, or what advice would you give to a young driven, already hardworking strength coach? That's a tough question. This is only an hour show, right? Like I can <laughs> spend all day on, on bad advice. Um, um, I, th there's not one way to skin a cat. I mean, there are a million different ways to train guys. And if you are stuck on one methodology and you spend your, entire time trying to put a square peg in a round hole uh, because that's all you know you're not doing yourself a service or or your your client your your soldier your your player you got to learn man you don't know everything um I, I know strength coaches that have forgotten more than i know you know they, they are fantastic resources but the best strength coaches don't do the same thing over and over they they morph you know if i if i and my staff did the same thing over and over, we would get caught and we'd get fired. And I, I mean, caught by people coming up behind us, you know, we're not doing anything illegal, but um, you, you got to adapt and you got to learn and you got to learn what's new, what's hot. And if you're stuck on one thing, it's not going to work. Like when I came in to league, you know, strength and power and speed, that is it. And then you start seeing it's 82 games and um, work capacity is important. You know, these guys need to work at a high level for a long time. And if you're not training work capacity along with all that other stuff, you're behind the curve. Well, how do you train work capacity? It doesn't look like four sets of six. You know, it looks different. Um, how do you work that in? You know, so you have to, you know, there's not, there's not one way. That's my, my thing. Get a, get a big toolbox and fill it up and, and don't be stuck on one thing. There's a whole bunch of different ways to do that and learn, you know, there, I learn stuff from people every day. Um, so that's my good and bad, bad advice. There's not, if somebody tells you it's, there's one way to do things, they're full of shit. And um, my, my good advice would be learn. There's not just one way, learn, listen. Thank you, Paul. You've been a uh, very generous with your time. You have any, this is usually the part where I ask people, uh, where people can find you. And uh, I don't think people can find you, but I'll give you, give you the chance here just for any, any parting thoughts, wisdom, well, places to reach out. It's not like we're, we're the, the uh, military strength coaches aren't accessible, that we just have clearances and we can't have social media and we can't do that with all that other stuff. So um, my, my uh, work email is paul.g.com. Goldberg at socom.mil. Um, always willing to talk to, to anybody who's interested. Uh, like Mike mentioned earlier, there are hundreds of strength coach jobs, and I'm not lying. There's hundreds of strength coach jobs opening up in the military. So if you have any uh, desire to serve your country um, this way, uh, you are you you'll be a welcome asset. Um, and Cansoff, Canada, they are one of our partners and those dudes kick ass. So if you know if you have any Canadian lis listeners and you're interested, they're growing as well. They're looking for um, professionals uh, to help them grow. You know, their um, special forces teams are, they are some bad dudes, man. So if you wanted to get on, on that side of it, um, I'm sure you'd be welcome because there, there's 
there's a lot of bad information on the internet and these these um, military guys uh, you know are always looking to get better and if you want to contribute um, you'll be welcome Goldie uh, thanks for coming on it's been great to catch up and thanks for I know you won't take any credit for it but thank you for you know working with our servicemen and women Neil is a special place in my heart for them and with my experience with the pararescuemen but um, you know thanks for thanks for initiating that and, and being committed to that and I'm sure that they thank you for it too well, thanks for having me, guys. It was a uh, it was a pleasure. And any uh, any of the alumni that come on here, tell them I said hi. I've kind of lost touch with some of them, but um, all good dudes, man. I I love my time working with you guys. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Paul. Nice to meet you, David. Likewise. All right. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. As always, you can find links to everything discussed at the official website of SCAF, ProHockeyStrength.com. There you can find hundreds of articles podcasts, videos, forums, lots of stuff, a lot of it for free. So head on over to prohockeystrength.com.